Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. Welcome, everybody. I am super excited to have on as a guest, Justin Colby out of Arizona. Welcome, Justin. What's going on, dude? Thanks for having me. Man, I read through your bio, and rather than mess everything up, I mean, you do a lot of different things. Yeah. So can you do me a favor and just kind of give the listeners a very, very high-level overview of what you've done in the past and kind of what you're focused on now? Yeah. So I started back in 2007. I started actually as a licensed realtor. I just didn't enjoy the game. So when the market crashed, I got out of that. Um, Not only did I get out of that, I lost it all while getting out of it. Right. So lost my house, lost my $90,000 car, lost all of it. So I had to rebuild myself. And so in 2007, um, I started in the real estate investing world here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, it was one of those things that the banks didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what was going on, but we were going to make it happen. So over the last, uh, you know, going on 10 years now, uh, I've done well over 650 flips. Um, about half of those are wholesale. About half of those are regular rehab flips, uh, fix and flips, yep. uh, started developing back in 2013. And if you've never been in the developing game, I'd caution you cause it's, um, uh, absolutely. We've, we've just done we just started doing a couple in the past couple of years and we're like, man, this was not what we thought it was going to be. Right. Right. Hard, like exactly. just, and, and easier money on the fix and flips, right? Yeah. Way easier, way easier. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, and, and you know, I mean, it's all about who you're doing business with. And I had some people that were involved in the deal that were not people that I would ever do business again with. And you kind of learn that the hard way. And, um, so anyways, so, you know, got into that game, ended up selling not only all the units we built, but then ended up selling the remainder of the land rather than trying to fight through the, the minutia of continuing, um, mm-hmm. and got right back into what we do best, which is wholesale and rehab fix and flip and mm-hmm. been crushing it again ever since. And, um, what else? And obviously I have a book out on Amazon. I have a podcast myself called the science of flipping on iTunes. Um, and I've helped you know, if not several thousand people get into this industry and and make their first check or even potentially, um, you know, fire their boss and go full time and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff. So definitely fills a purpose. So how did you lose it all? Like going back to 2007, were you fixing and flipping then, or you were just an agent and you just couldn't get any business at that point? I was just an agent in the market tanked. Right. And I was, you know, writing high off new home sales, crushing it, making a ton of money and everything changes. Right. And all of a sudden your income goes away, but your overhead doesn't, which is always the case. Right. Yep. And I just, I was done. I mean, literally I was throwing good money at a bad investment. My personal home, which was a $500,000 condo mm-hmm. immediately went down 50%. Right. Mm-hmm. So I bought it at 500 grand. It immediately became 250 grand. Mm-hmm. I'm throwing a $500,000 loan um, mortgage payment every month. That's something that's not even worth that anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a $90,000 Lexus. So I was just a statistic, right? It was, I was a statistic of what happened during those times. Did you know what was going on or did you have really no, no idea yourself at the time? 
<laughs> I somewhat understood it, but I was still very naive. I mean, at the time, I think I was 26. So I didn't really understand all the mortgage backed security and what was truly, truly happening. I know I had a couple friends that were in the um, subprime business and they were just crushing it. And I knew that wasn't right. I was like, there's something wrong for you to be able to move this many loans in this sector of the loan world. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of knew, but I yep. also was very kind of like how, co- you know, I didn't know how long it was going to last versus, you know, how it was going to blow. Right. So let me ask you this, something I ask every guest that's super successful. How is this time different? How is 2017 different than 2007? Yeah, I'm, I'm way more aware. Um, yeah. And I have a lot more, I have more of a pulse on what's going on with the real estate economy than I did then, right? So I was also, all the money I made was I was a statistic of the good time. I didn't do anything special. I wasn't smarter than any other agent or I literally fell into new home sales. We were crushing it. I didn't, I was an order taker, quite frankly. Yep. Right. And so I didn't have it. I was an order taker. So I just didn't know what I didn't know. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, and when things are rolling that good, you kind of just, why do I need to know anything? I'm making hand over fist money, pretty much just taking orders. Mm -hmm. And, um, now I have my finger on the pulse. I don't have a crystal ball, so I couldn't tell you, you know, in the next 12 months, this is going to happen. I think there's some things out there that are looming. I think the auto industry is going to play a very large part into what happens with our economy. Um, but you know, with what's going on politically, what's going on with the hurricanes, what's going on with just, I mean, the world right now is so up in arms is the way I kind of look at it. And there's so much going on, so much tragedy, so much stuff that, you know, I think, I'm just a lot more cautious now. I'm not mm-hmm. just, you know, throwing around money. And um, I try to be very intentional with the homes we rehab flip versus mm-hmm. the ones that we wholesale because it doesn't make a lot of sense to be, you know, $5 million into rehabs um, right this second. But if there's a great flip, doesn't mean I'm going to pass on it either. So, so when you're talking about 50% of them, you wholesale versus 50% you fix and flip. What is that determining factor that determines you want to fix and flip this particular property versus wholesale something else? Just math. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if I can't make six figures on a rehab flip, it's just not worth my doing. Mm. Um, because of all, a lot of different, um, factors. But one thing I do a lot is whole tail. I don't know if you've heard that term. Yep. Um, I have a, uh, product on teaching people how to wholesale because it's similar to rehabbing, but you're not rehabbing. It's similar to wholesaling, but you're not wholesaling, right? You actually have to get money and buy the home. That model right now is a very popular model because the industry's on fire, right? It's a seller's market no matter where you go. So doesn't it behoove us to actually have more properties to sell? I think, I think wholesaling right now is the most profitable niche. Absolutely. Um, I don't, I mean, in my market it is because at the end of the day, there's just such a little inventory on the market. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar with the process of wholesaling, what it is, all right. So wholesaling is when you buy a property, you don't take title to it. And then you sell that contract to somebody else. Fixing and flipping is when you take that property, you fully renovate it, and then you sell it to a retail buyer. And wholesaling is when you actually take title to the property. Um, you may do a little bit of work. I, do you recommend doing a little bit of work or, or nothing at all? 
property specific. I mean, yep. if the home's built in 2005 and pretty much doesn't need anything, then I'm going to make sure it looks pretty. I'm going to clean it out and yeah. be done. If it's but a little it, older, then yeah, I might throw 2,500, five grand into it and just make it nicer. But what we're seeing in our market is when you wholetail something, you're almost getting the same price as a fix and flip. Are That's you exactly seeing right? And the reason we're seeing that is because of the lack of inventory. So unfortunately, when somebody in a market right now can, let's say that they're capped at $400,000, they may only have three houses to choose from. And when they only have three houses to choose from, guess what? Our property that's pretty nice, but not perfect, becomes the only available option. And so that's why in this particular market, just economically, that's why it works. So, um, when you when you're when you're doing the so you do fifty percent complete wholesale you're not taking title and then out of the fifty percent that you're closing on what percentage is wholesale versus you know going balls to the wall fits and flip. Well, I think just to clarify, I think over the years I've done about fifty fifty wholesale rehab flip and in, in some wholesaling right. Yep. Um, right now I'd say I'm predominantly ninety percent wholesaling. Well, eighty five percent wholesaling, ten percent wholesaling. Mm-hmm. in whatever, 5% rehabbing. Like right now I have one rehab deal going on. It's going to be awesome, but we're not taking down a lot of those because it's $150,000 rehab. Right. And so there's a lot of money that goes out to go get that deal, but the income that's based off that is, is 20%, right? So that's well, 120% really. So, so- it's a, it's a mesh right now. I'm saying about 10% wholesale, 5% rehab and, uh, you know, 85% wholesale. So you're talking about doing things smarter this time than the last time. And I think one of the things you just hit on is like, you're wholesaling a lot and you're not taking on that market risk, right? Correct. Correct. So you're not taking on the market risk in a market that isn't that far away from changing. Right. And, and Phoenix traditionally is kind of the heartbeat or the pulse of kind of what happens, right? Like yeah, you guys go, you guys go first, right? Every time. So why I'm is very that? Aware. You know, I don't know. It's a very transient city. It's an affordable city. Yeah. There's major sports teams here, right? So we have all of the major sports teams. Um, nine months out of the year, it is you can't beat the weather. Nine months out of the year because it's beautiful. Uh, all winter long, all fall long, all spring long. The summers, yes, are hot, but they're not unbearable because there's always air conditioning everywhere. You know, unbelievable golf courses. There's a good little economy here, right? And then on top of it, like relative to California, our tax brackets are different, right? So I pay, I save, living here, I save roughly 12 to 15% on taxes. If, if I took my same income and brought that into California, I'd be north of 50% on taxes, which is nuts. Right. But so, you know, Phoenix is a great area to live, but why are you guys, why do you guys fall first? Like there was probably a good 18 month gap between Phoenix falling and Boston falling. Yep. And it just, I, it, you know, just, it's a weird thing. Did, did you guys start to go, when did you guys start to go back up roughly? Like what year did you guys really start to 13, 13? I mean, we've been on a run for the last four years. Yeah. Our so, numbers are back to where they should have been. If there was never an up and a down and the economy just stood going normal 5% forever, our numbers are back there now. Yeah. Right. We're, we're probably about at that same too. And we basically started to come back around 2013 as well. Yeah. And you guys also fall harder too. Like we, we didn't go down, you know, you said, 
you lost 50% in how long of a period of time? Freaking three months. Yeah. So in Boston, for whatever reason, we just go slow. Like we go yeah. slow, we go slow up, we go slow down. We don't, we don't vacillate, you know, quite as much, but I mean, that's just market specific. So yeah. And I would say part of it is there's, there's a lot of money in Phoenix, meaning like the hedge funds, right? Yes. So yeah, they came in and they change our market way more volatile than a Boston. And the reason being is the homes are newer. It's an expansive city, right? So they can come in and get good rental portfolios, yep. but they'll pay way more than you or I would simply because they need to make less yield, right? Yep. So when you and I want to make a yield at 8%, 10%, they'll make a yield of four to six. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're paying way more, which is changing the market. And then it's not sustainable because they're the only ones that have you know, $60 million spend every single month. Mm -hmm. So when they slow down or they stop, it changes everything, right? So the fluctuation doesn't even happen because of always the loans or it happens because the players in the industry, right? They're coming in and crushing us in terms of price per deal that they're willing to spend. And then when they stop or slow down, well, everyone else has to pay because they're artificially inflating Mm -hmm. and you start to lose at the end of that, right? So um, Boston, to my knowledge, isn't a heavily. No, you know why? Because like, are you talking about, you're talking about single families, right? That, yeah. that you can buy. See in Boston, we're too expensive to cash flow. Right. Like even, you know, you would have had to come in. Our, our rock bottom was like 2010, 2011. Yeah. That's probably the only time where you, you could have came into Boston single families and maybe cash flowed. And even then you would have only made a couple bucks. So you can't make money doing that here. So, so we never, um, I remember, uh, during the, the last crash, people were talking about hedge funds coming in and I was like, man, what the hell is going on? I never see that. Um, but, but now, you know, that I'm a little bit more experienced, I know the economics of why, but yeah, we don't see it at all. Yeah. So, you know, and Boston's also unique not to go too much into, you know, um, market specific stuff, but we don't have a lot of land and they are really, really strict upon new construction. Sure. And where you guys are, right, like you have more space to kind of develop. Yeah. Um, I know, obviously, building, like you mentioned in the onset, is a pain. But um, you, you guys still have physical land to do it. Like, whereas we don't have a lot more land. Right. And even the land we do have, it's, it's brutal to get anything done here um, politically. So, no Um. So talk a little bit about you're doing tons of volume, right? So how are you finding all these great deals? Uh, I do a lot of direct mail marketing. Yep. Um, and that has kind of a point of, um, you can only reach so many people and keep it profitable, right? So yep. right now we have a three X return on our direct mail marketing, but then you include um, cold calling, which is a big portion of what has become so um, profitable for us here because mm-hmm. we basically take a list, whether it's from our title company list source, you know, find motivated sellers. Now we skip trace the phone numbers and we start calling people just saying, Hey, are you interested in selling? Um, the Who's market- we? Who is we? Because I, I can't picture Justin Colby making these calls. Not that you no. couldn't, but I don't think right. you do. Right. Who's so we? we, we have three people in the office here. And then I have a business partner that runs an office in Mesa that he has five more people there. Right. Awesome. And so we have a total of eight um, rocking and rolling and the profit margins there are so much better because you're paying them a small percentage of the deals that get done. Right. And so we call those, you know, lead managers. I don't even like using the word manager because they're not managing anything. Yeah. Um, 
but lead positions. And then we have like acquisition uh, managers who actually will go contract the deal, two different roles. One person gets us in the door. The other person physically gets in the door and negotiates the deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And so those are our main ways of going right now. I've toyed with pay-per-click Google advertising. The cost is astronomical. It's insane um, where you are right now. Um, yeah. It varies all over the market. Like again, the, the price, you know, what's working really, really well is, um, is Facebook right now. Okay. It's something, you know, me for sellers, for sellers, good working very well. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before it gets to the pay-per-click level, but a lot of people aren't doing it right now. So, yeah. so, so what you mentioned, like everybody does mailers, not a lot of people do cold calling. We do a bunch of cold calling as well and it works really well, but not a lot of people do it because you have to actually manage the people. Yep. And like the traditional kind of mom and pop investor can't manage that person. Correct. Right. And they don't know, they don't even know how to train them anyways. So, um, you toyed with, did you try pay-per-click and just got for a better part of a year and your uh, cost per lead was crazy high, right? Unbelievable. I mean, Three, it was crazy. 400, 500. What are we talking? Cost per lead got into 800 and I oh, think man. cost per deal was like almost eight grand. And I was just like, this doesn't model, right? Cause no. especially if we're going to wholesale, it doesn't math out. Now, if we're going to rehab and flip them and only do big, okay, I can, I can understand a certain level of them. Um, but direct mail was always like $300 a lead, you know, $2,500 to three grand a deal. Mm-hmm. I will take those numbers over PPC every time because it's half, right? Yep. So on the mailers right now, have you kind of maxed out your market? Like, yeah. Yeah. I think we're at a um, diminishing return. That's where, that's where we're at too. And um, so Mesa is considered a different Metro than you, right? No, it's all the same. Okay. I mean, I, you know, it's all the same. It's all, that's 20 minutes away from me. So Phoenix is Phoenix, right? Just like Boston's Boston, but you have, I used to live in um, Beacon Hill actually in Boston. Okay. So, but you have all the little sub cities in Boston, but everyone just says I live in Boston. I mean, yep. Right. So same thing. Mesa is a part of Phoenix. Gilbert is a part of Phoenix. Chandler is a part of Phoenix. You know, Tempe is a part of Phoenix. Yep. So, um, so what have you done? So you've maxed out your mailers. Have you maxed out your calls? No, we're looking at actually increasing that. Actually, we're looking at bringing more people on. And I know, you know, this model very, very well, um, in figuring out how many can we actually get into the door with a low lead cost, right. In terms of deals. So no, I think, you know, our guys are making 300 calls a day. That's their quota. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking for every thousand leads to have one deal. So if a guy is given a thousand phone numbers, there's a deal in there. That's like the baseline. Yep. Can there be more 100%, but the baseline is, is a thousand equals one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we have eight people calling 300, uh, calls a day, you start to just simply do the math, right? So it only takes roughly three days to a week for one person to get a call. So for, a the, deal, for, those, for the people who are on that, you know, it sounds overwhelming to kind of manage somebody doing the cold calls because it is. And it is. It's a management, it, speaking frankly, it's a management nightmare, right? It's just yep. complete, complete management, managing people, managing their <laughs> expectations, managing the numbers, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's too it's too bad that you can't just go all you know double your mailers because mailing you know you click a button and the the marketing's done. Yeah, but then there's a you know so we're sending out just under a hundred thousand mail pieces a month. 
Um, And that's just the point of diminishing returns. We're not working the leads effectively. So what I always go back to telling people is you're in a marketing and sales business. You're not in real estate. Mm -hmm. You're buying and selling real estate, but you're not in real estate. You're in marketing and sales. And the better marketer you are and the better ability you have on selling, meaning negotiating with sellers and finding buyers, that's the game you're in. And so Mm -hmm. you need to figure out, don't just send 200,000 letters if you're one person you'll never effectively work those leads yeah so there's always people i have people i talk to all the time they're like you know i'll I'll give them like a recommended budget and they want to do triple that i'm like you can't process the leads you'll lose money because you can't effectively actually manage the amount of calls you're going to get let's take a quick break from the episode to get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors join our free private facebook group Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Tell us though about the process of of managing that call or like, do you have one specific person who's managing all the dialers? How does that look? Yeah, right now we do. Um, We have one guy and he manages the dialers and the people and the matrix, right? So we have a spreadsheet that says you made this many calls, you had this many contacts because Mojo Sales, as you know, delivers that very, very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, Out of these contacts, you converted this into an appointment. Out of these appointments, these how many deals you got, right? So we have them manage those matrix. And if people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's his role to say, hey, why did you make 122 calls today? What I mean what was the deal? But then you see his talk time being incredibly high. Okay. Well, how many appointments did you pull out of that? Right. So then it's just a management of numbers. I always talk about math, right? It just goes back to math. You just run the math and you can manage to the numbers. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, one guy manages that. We basically, um, I, for the most part kind of manage direct mail just because it's somewhat of a, how did you get that role? So, so you got the other guys doing managing that the hard part, you're managing the direct mail. How did, how did that come about? Well, quite frankly, even my business partner truly manages the numbers, oh, but oh, really? I'm always <laughs> kind of it. yeah, uh, it's, it's my role of the company, right? So I'm the visionary. Yeah. Um, I'm not the implementer. I go create opportunities. Like I went and had a great meeting, uh, this weekend and sat down and opened up an opportunity for some financial, uh, tools to be implemented into my kind of coaching and that will bring in more revenue. So the idea I'm bringing to you is I don't, I'm not the implementer, not in the weeds, but I will look at the weeds and I'll navigate the company through the weeds, um, and then create opportunity for us to get out of the weeds, right. And, you know, running, because if we can put some systems to my vision, then it becomes just a rinse and repeat every single day. And that's really where we've gotten to at this point is, I can create the vision and now it's a system of rinse and repeat. Yeah. So it's funny because I've got the same arrangement. So I've got a business partner and I've, I'm, I'm in the same role as you are. Yeah. Right. So, so he always says to me, like, you're the one that's creating problems. Right. So it's my, it's my job to create the problems, right. It's my job to create the work. So if I don't create the work, there is no work and you know, no one makes money. Yeah. But, um, you know, he still hates me for it anyways. Of course. But. Of course. That's their role. They hate us because we always dump. Here's what I do. I, I'm a classic <laughs> fork. I'll walk by my business partner's office. I'll yell a great idea and be like, Hey, we need to get this started so we can do X, Y, and Z. And I just keep going. And he's like, what do I do with that? <laughs> right. Cause I just give him the idea and then he has to manage it. And so he's like, Oh my God, you're killing me. And so, that's just a constant thing. So have you tracked, um, your cost per acquisition mailers versus uh, cold calling and which one is better right now? Oh, cold calling. 
like yeah. by a landslide. We're talking about like $400 cost per acquisition to what did I just say it was 3,500 or something like that. And what is your take for why that is? I know I've got my opinion on it, but. Well, the cost of direct mail is high and the callback mm-hmm. return is low. Yeah. Right. And so if I'm spending 40 to 50 grand a month, that's great. But then the callback ratio is lowered because there's so many people, you know, competition doing it. So yes. everyone here in Phoenix gets 35 letters. Yep. So, right. Um, and then because the market's so hot, the sellers are getting more knowledgeable. They know more what the house is worth because there's so many sales going on. All they have to do is look at Zillow now and Zillow is getting better. Yep. So it's a combination of all of it, right. Which spikes the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then always working on conversion with our sales guys. Um, the guys over the phone, I mean, what Mojo cost me less than $200 a month for all of the tools. Yeah. And then, you know, it's a matter of just getting the lead guy to make a small little percentage. My acquisition guy makes a small little percentage and that's my cost. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So I, I pay, I pay people hourly. Um, okay. so I love the fact that you get, you basically do it, you know, a cut of the deal. I think that's awesome. Um, how did you, how long did it take you to sign on people that were willing to do it for a commission only? This is part of the management nightmare, right? Cause it's basically yep. like a spin wheel. They're just in and out and you just got to hire. I mean, it's a hiring job. Well, the better it's, you it's are a, hiring the, you know, the thing I say about cold calling is like, it's a job that it was no, it's nobody's dream job. Right. Right. So they're always going to be looking for a way out. Most yep. people, I mean, there are some people who, you know, they like talking on the phone and they, they don't mind doing it. But for the most part, that's the issue, right? Because a lot of people, it's not their dream job. Even if they're making decent money at it, it's right. not really what they want to do. So it can be tough. But um, on the cold calling side, I think at the end of the day, it boils down to the fact that like you get those, every seller is getting those 35 letters, but they're not getting 35 calls. Correct. Right? So you might be the, you know, one of maybe one or two or three. I heard a strategy from somebody I had on the podcast recently that they don't mail, but they call and say, did you get my letter? Cause they, cause yeah. they know, they know that they're getting a letter. Right. right. And, so, and so they, they look at it like, well, look, if they're getting 30, you know, whatever, 10, 20, 30 letters, and I'm the one who calls, they're going to be like, wow, that's the person who's really putting in, not necessarily putting in the effort because the seller's not going to think like that, but they, they may be able to make that actual like face to you know, like personal connection. Correct. So, so those two are working. Yeah. PPC is, is crazy. Is there anything else that's working for you now on the lead gen side? Do what others aren't right. So, um, door knocking still works this day and, and we don't have a huge door knocking. You know, we have a couple guys that kind of work here on an internship basis. We call them minions. Um, they will go and door knock, but it actually still works because you're always going to convert more face to face than you will over the phone. Mm-hmm. So, um, do what others aren't doing. You don't have to be avant-garde or you don't have to be so contrarian that you're so far ahead of the curve and you created some awesome, crazy new way, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of the old ways that still work today. Bandit signs is another one. Bandit signs still work. I have, I run a mastermind. I own three different masterminds with Kent, Sean, and myself. Kent Clothier, Sean Terry, and myself are in three different masterminds. We have a group in our middle mastermind that's made over 400 grand this year on bandit signs alone. Mm. No direct mail, no PVC, no anything. And that's all their whole business is they made 400 grand on bandit signs and their cost per deal is way less than a thousand dollars. Right? So 
it's um do what others aren't is what I would say. You don't have to be contrary in this crazy new something. Just do what people aren't willing to do. And you're always going to win. I base my success around, I guarantee you're going to quit before me and I'm banking on it. Yeah. I'm going to bank on, you're going to give up doing direct mail before I give up doing direct mail. Mm. I'm going to bank that instead of making 300 calls today, you're going to make a hundred calls. So I'm just saying, I'm going to do what others aren't willing and I'm going to bank on them not doing it. And every yeah. time I win doing that. So one of the things, the nuggets in there that you kind of mentioned is like consistent marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So is there any point during the year where you say, well, it's a little bit slower during this time of the year. I'm going to, I'm going to hold up. Never. You never let go of your marketing because it's, it's a lead gen. You're in marketing and sales. That's our business. So even though let's just say the holidays tend to be a little slower, which <laughs> ironically last year, it was not a little slower. It kept pace with every other month. Mm-hmm. Um, but people will make that. Oh, it's the holidays. You're not going to get callbacks as much or blah, blah, blah. Lower your marketing. Yeah. But then what happens when you come out of the holidays, your lead flow isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. So now you got to ramp back up and that takes time. What I've noticed is it roughly takes to ramp marketing up at any significant level. It takes roughly nine months to ramp it up. Okay. So if you pause, you pull back, well, now you're back in a ramp up mode. So why don't you just keep it at a certain level that you don't have to ramp up for nine months? Now, when I say that, I don't want people to get discouraged. Oh, it's going to take me nine months to get my first deal. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm yep. saying is it's a ramp up period. You can get your first deal in your first marketing, but when you're running a business like mine or like yours, I need to have consistent 10 deals every single month, whether I'm wholesaling, wholetailing them um, or rehabbing them to get back up to that volume of 10 deals is a ramp up period. So that's what I'm really defining for those out, those out there. So for mailing people often ask, you know, do you do postcards? Do you do individual letters? Like, does it matter? Like what's your take on that? So we've done them all. And I've, I basically have four different uh, mail types that we use. Mm-hmm. We have found the letters are no more better or worse or postcards, are no more better or worse. They're all pretty much giving us the same number, meaning callback ratio. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we just try to use the one that's converted best over the years. Right. And it's a letter. Okay. Even though that, so if you're saying they're kind of the same postcards are cheaper though, right? They are cheaper, but not, uh, not to a significant amount for us because we're getting letters at roughly 40 or 41 cents. Um, because I have a local mail guy. I don't go to some big companies, a local guy here. Uh, I think postcards are 39 cents. Oh, wow. I like the look of a letter a little bit more. I think postcards scream junk mail. If I'm teaching someone, right. If I were to be teaching your loyal listeners, I'd say, at the end of the day, you want to go as wide as you can touch as many people as you can. So you can get as many chances for that phone call. So whatever the cheapest route would be is what I would choose. So yeah. postcards typically. Yeah, definitely. Um, and anything specific, like on the outside of the letter, does it look like a traditional letter or do you, are you one of the people that says, well, it's got to look a certain way or people won't open it. It's pretty traditional, dude. I mean, yeah. it literally is. Yeah, yeah. My name's Justin, um, local cash investor. I saw you own one to the main street. Would like to offer you a, you know, um, win-win offer, right? Whatever. No, no. And then bullet points, no fees, no commissions, no costs. Um, no, sounds, sounds to a T what mine is. I right. think that's, you know, that's the one pretty much everybody uses. Um, what about the exterior of the letter? Anything different there or just typical just an envelope 
Yeah. Just yeah, I've never, I've never found there. that it, I've never found that it, it matters to get fancy with them. I think the numbers are more important. Like I think, especially for newer investors that have never done a campaign before, a lot of times I feel like they worry about the wrong things. Like they focus on like what my three letters are going to look like instead of figuring out how I can get 3000 letters out. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. I go for, I call them the masses of asses, right? So I'm going as wide as I can. I'm the fisherman with a big old net not a fishing pole. Yeah. And I want to go after as many as I can, not necessarily deep. The difference being is if you have a rifle, you can go deep. If you have a shotgun, you can go wide. Um, I want the shotgun approach because in my experience in Phoenix, it's all about timing and circumstance right now. Yep. And um, you don't, and you don't know those two things. And if I go wide, the people who are going after motivation, which would be, you know, divorce, yeah. tax liens, uh, pre foreclosures, all that, if I'm going wide based around my property avatar, I'm getting those people anyways. Yep. So, so what do you, what do you say to, I mean, the, the newer people who, you know, going wide isn't in their budget, you know, somebody that's on a shoestring budget, how can you get into this game? Cold calling all day long. So I created a product called contacts to contracts and I know I'm not here to sell anything, but this is what I created. Hey. Teach people how to do it. Um, because it's not difficult. It just takes a little systemization, which we've done now over the years. So you get Mojo cells, you get a skip tracer and you start banging that phone. And if, you know, my office's goal is uh, 300 calls per day per person. But if I'm a solopreneur and I'm getting started and I'm listening to this podcast, I'm telling you now, get on there, make 500 calls every single day. You will go get your first deal for less than $200 a month. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. $200 a month, right? 100%. With no, with with zero overhead. Right. Right. You don't need it. Not a bad position to be in. Right. I mean, if I lost it all today, if something happened and anything could happen to us, right? Like we're not invincible. I'm not invincible. If our market takes a a dump, I mean, I'm going to have to make some serious changes. I have a full fledged office here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If I had to make that decision, I would just have my single mojo dialer and I'd be bank. I would do it because I know I could recreate it. I know I can go get the income. So for any of you out there, you know, the reason why I created that product, quite frankly, is because the number one question I get asked is what you just asked me. If you were to start all over again, if you had no money, how would you get into this industry? And so I basically built this phone product because that's what I would do. And here's how I do it. And here's the systems I use and here, go get it. Right. So we, I have a coaching product, um, and the coaching product part of it is we're going to, we're going to generate the leads for people. Oh, cool. And so, so we do that uh, through a lot of uh, Facebook and Google pay-per-click, depending on, on what market people are in. And we'll even do some of the cold calling for them. Right. But I get people all the time. They don't have the money. So like we, we want to have when people, when we work with somebody, we want between a seven and a $10,000 budget so that we know we've got like, tons of room to, to get a bunch of leads. Absolutely. But we, but we get people that come through the system that, you know, they have a thousand dollars and that's exactly the advice I give them. I say, look, having money is to start with marketing. It just makes things easier. Right. But it, it doesn't eliminate you from being able to do a deal. If you don't have money, you just have to work harder. Yep. And, and at the end of the day, you know, having that marketing budget versus not having that marketing budget, it's going to be harder getting your first deal. But once you start going, you're going to be in the same position as somebody else who had that capital. 100%. So, so, um, so tell us, I'm interested in that program. So do you mind sharing like what the cost is of that? 
Yeah. So it's called contacts to contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's $597. I priced it to make sure that people could afford it. Right. Cause to your point, more often than not, it's people who are just kind of getting started and they need something that they can afford. So, um, it literally walks through. I basically did live trainings for three straight weeks mm-hmm. and I walked through live, how to use Mojo correctly, how to download a list, how to upload a list, the scripts I use, what to say, how we set appointments, how we hire people, how we train people. I mean, I literally give it all to you because um, I truly believe this is the one way if you're just getting into the industry or even if it's you and me thinking, what are other lead avenues? Yeah. This is the way I would tell anybody. Like when I run our masterminds, there's people in there that are making seven figures a year in their business and they're still complaining. I don't have enough leads. And I say, dude, get on the phones. I'm yeah. telling you, you know, hire people, get on the phones. Here's, you know, they, they buy my product for $597 and they're like, Oh my God. Right. Cause I teach them how to hire. I teach them what to say. I give them all the scripts. So it legitimately came out of creation of everyone keeps saying, yeah, what would you do? Well, that's yeah. it. Mm, awesome. So again, um, the science flipping.com forward slash C two C, uh, it's $597. Um, I appreciate you mentioning it. I'm not here to sell, but if people are interested, that's, that's the avenue for sure. No, I like it. I mean, I think it fills a void, right? Cause there's definitely a void there. I mean, a lot of the times, like for me, you know, I'll tell people that you have to cold call, but I don't have a product behind it saying this yeah. is how you do it. It's for yep. me, it's kind of like, man, I wish I had the time to train you, but I really don't. Yeah. Um, so this is what I recommend doing. So I like it. Um, so you've got a big we'll event work, coming. We'll work out with it. We'll work out an affiliate plan for you. That way you don't have to go create it. Awesome. Um, so tell us, tell us about your event coming up with, um, with Clint, uh, Kent and uh, Sean Terry. Sean. Yeah. So Sean runs an amazing event every year. And the reason why it's so amazing is because it's so tactical, right? Sean is a tactician. Um, and so over the years, Sean, Kent and I, we've always been a part of masterminds together and we've just built this incredible friendship. So basically the three of us put together, um, a business relationship together. And so what we do is I share, you know, it's basically the three of us running it. It's absolutely Sean's event. Um, but I'll MC it and I'll present and Sean will present and Kent will present. And we'll ha- we're, we're bringing in, um, a billionaire, Jesse Itzler, who has become a close friend of mine, Kent and Sean's. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a co-founder of Zico vitamin water, uh, marquee jets, uh, which sold to Warren Buffett's company, net jets. Uh, he's a part owner of Atlanta Hawks. We're going to have incredible people. Our friend Brett will be there. I think he might even be speaking. Um, but it is unbelievable three days that, um, we give all of the content for all of the systems, um, at this event. Right. And so, um, it's called extreme freedom. If you just go to the science of flipping.com forward slash events, you will see a video of me and Sean and we'll tell you all about it and the value there is uh, tickets are selling now. And mm-hmm. it's going to be for those of you, the people that want VIP, we're actually doing an upfront one day mastermind with me, Sean and Kent on Thursday mm-hmm. um, that you would be going to for the VIPs. That way they get really around the, the inner circle, so to speak, and get to ask us questions. And we do like a mastermind model. And so, yeah. Um, scienceflipping.com forward slash events. You're going to see a video of me and Sean, and we're talking about our business and why this event's so great. And this stuff, by the way, for those of you who are listening, it's a hundred percent worth it. Like, I mean, I know, uh, Kent and, and, and Sean stuff and they have great content. I feel like Kent is at every one of these events. 
Absolutely. He's, he's everywhere, man. He's, he's uh, everywhere, man. It's like crazy. It's like every single event. I don't, you know, but, um, but his content's awesome. He's got a lot of great products too. Um, you mentioned the, uh, fine motivated sellers now, right? Yep. Awesome product. Um, Unbelievable. yeah, I mean, that's a product that I use. I definitely endorse it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so going to those events though, I mean, you, you won't leave not getting your money's worth. I mean, you guys don't even charge a lot. I mean, you no. know, the, the events are the, it's an insignificant amount of money yep. and you're going to get at least a few ideas at every single one of these, like for sure. And, um, you know, you're going to have some of the top people in the industry that are doing things that, that nobody else is doing. So, no doubt. uh, it's definitely worth it as, as much as you can go to these events. It's definitely, uh, you know, a big benefit. Um, Look, I tell people all the time when you're at one of our events, right? So we just had me, Sean and Kent put on the scale and escape event. Awesome event. But it was more for people that were kind of more in our position where you might be making seven figures, but you freaking are doing everything right. Yep. You gotta figure out how to scale your business. This event is going to be for everybody. It's going to be for the people who are like, how do I get into it? But also it's going to be a component of how to build a true business, not just how do I go get a paycheck? Right. And so we're going to have all the components there. I tell people every time, go find three things that you can take home immediately and take action. Don't yeah. try to figure out how to build everything all at once. Take I know. It's so it's so tough because you oh. go there, you get, you don't get three good ideas. You get 50 good ideas. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. But, and so take notes, but find the three that you can do immediately. The day you get home, like what I'm going to tell people is this phone, this doesn't need to wait. You don't need to wait on the phone system. You can literally start today, right? You don't have to wait for direct mail to go out and the calls to come back in. You don't have to wait for anything. Hmm. It's I'm going to start calling today. Right. So it's an awesome event guys. I would love for you guys to go there. I appreciate you letting me just mention it on here. It's going to be killer October 20th through the 22nd here in Phoenix. And what is the URL again? One more time. The science of flipping.com forward slash events. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Justin, for coming on. Any, any last parting words for the, the listeners? My pleasure. Uh, here's what I would tell the, the listeners. You need to always be open-minded and a big student. I today, to this very day, I still hire coaches. I still hire business mentors. I still As bring do I. into my life <laughs> that know more than me, not for huge transformation reasons, but because I always want to be pushed. I always want to get better at what I'm doing. So for all you listeners that are out there and maybe contemplating whether you're going to do Tom's coaching, do it because at the end of the day, you need those people involved. So that's it. I appreciate you having me on here. This has been, uh, it's been great, dude. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella, and we will be back next week. Thank you. Peace. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor, and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.